our Living Counter series tonight. So all summer we've been journeying through the series, and uh, this is really a series about values, about uh, the values of the world around us and the values of Jesus and the way of Jesus and how they can compete with one another, push against one another. And so uh, we've been looking over the course of the summer uh, each week at at a set of values, a a value of the world and a value of the way of Jesus and how they work together with one another. And tonight, I want to hit the last one, and it might be, I I don't want to say the most important one in terms of um, weight scripturally, but maybe the most important one for us in 21st century North America. I want to look at the idea that rest needs to be greater than exhaustion. Rest needs to be greater than exhaustion. And as I say that, I recognize that I am probably talking to exhausted people. And I'll be upfront with you that I'm talking as an exhausted person to exhausted people. So what do we do with that? Um, Amanda and I were meeting earlier this week with uh, a mentor couple that has uh, been just a real key part of our lives and having coffee with them and talking. And they were just asking us, they knew uh, some of the things that had been going on in our lives and in church and um, just different things that had been happening. And they were just saying, kind of unpack for us. What's, what's going on and, uh, and how are things at home and how are things at church and what's going on? You know, we have uh, two kids now going to college, which is impossible because I'm not that old, but somehow that happened. Um, and so we're kind of talking, talking through all this stuff. And... Um, after maybe 15 or 20 minutes of just kind of talking to, this is what's going on, this is life, this is where things are, the, the husband said, can, is it okay if I just push a little, can I ask you a question that pushes a little bit? We said, yeah, absolutely. He said, are you delusional? And my first thought was, because I'm so snarky, how would I know, right? <laughs> like, if, if I'm delusional, I'm deluded about not being delusional. I don't know. I, but, but his point was this. He says, you, you keep telling me all of this stuff, and you keep saying, but it's going to be okay. As though you can live at the pace that you're living and not have it do damage to you. That's delusional. Like, it doesn't work that way. And I would, because I had to receive that, pass that to you. Because the reality is for all of us, we are living at a pace that is not sustainable in the world around us. We were exhausted, and then the pandemic hit and we got more exhausted. Um, the, The author Helen Peterson writes about the exhaustion of the millennial generation, and there's some specific reasons why the millennial generation's uh, exhausted in a specific way. But but I I love her definition of uh, of burnout. First, she says, exhaustion is going till you can't go anymore. Burnout is hitting that point and continuing to go anyway. Right? That's us. She summarizes it by saying, burnout is when the soul can't bear the weight of your life. And I thought, ooh, that, hurt, that kind of hurts. Um, I don't know if you know this, but um, back in the early 70s, there was a national conversation happening because uh, computers were on the rise, and the conversation was around what was going to happen to America when computers became everywhere, when we had them at our home and we could work and they'd be in our office, we would be so incredibly productive that the projection was we would work roughly 30 hours a week and have six months a year off. 
How y'all enjoying that? You enjoying that 30 hour work week and a couple months of vacation every year? What, what happened? I mean, that was a real projection, that was a real conversation. Like Congress was talking about this. Like what, what happened? Well, it's, it's honestly really simple. We made, a, we made a deal. We traded time for money. The productivity that we had at that point probably could have been maintained at 30 hours a week and six months a year. But we have bigger houses and more cars and grander vacations and all kinds of things that have been traded for the time that was coming. Think about even our terminology. People who have a lot of money and no time are called rich. People who had a lot, have a lot of time and no money are called poor or lazy, depending. Like, I, the, the whole way that we're wired is around the idea that if I just accumulate more, it's worth the trade-off. If I just go and go and go and go, it's worth it. And yet, the scriptures call us to be people of rest. As you'll see in just a couple minutes, it's everywhere, like literally beginning to end. Throughout the scriptures, the marker of the people of God is that we rest. John Tyson, in his book, The Beautiful Resistance, uh, makes a fascinating statement. He said, I, I often wonder whether this is why the church lacks credibility in our world. Maybe it's not just our big scandals and cultural failures. Maybe it's something much smaller, more common, more deadly. Maybe it's our exhaustion. Maybe we're just too tired to model agape love, too scheduled to show compassion, too distracted to pray, too much like the exhausted culture around us. Do we look any different than the world around us? If we are to be people who live counter, the flow of the world toward exhaustion should be resisted by the people of God who say, we know how to rest because we know where our rest is. And so I want to start very simply by just asking you to breathe. Take a moment. Just exhale out. Just give a big breath out. Relax and pause. And I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, Paul's going to come and read for us words that may be familiar, but try to listen to the heart of Jesus for us as his people. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you, Paul. And you will find rest for your souls. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we live in a frenetic world that is producing at a breakneck speed. We live as people who are caught up in a flow of fullness, identified by our our schedules and our production and our very impressive children. And we fail to pause and rest and remember and be restored by you. And so God, as we come and we listen to your word, I pray that your word would speak to us, that we would hear the compelling vision that you give to us of learning to live a life of rest, in a rhythm of rest. And so God, show us what it is and what it isn't and what we need to do to step into it. I pray that my words that come from my flesh would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but that your words by your spirit would penetrate our hearts. God, um, there are those of us, me included, that have lots of reasons why we don't stop. And so God, would you, by the weight of your spirit and the clarity of your word, remind us that you are God and that we can rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to just look at two things. That doesn't mean it's short, it just means there's two things. I want to look at the nature of rest itself. And as we look at the nature of rest, I I want to go literally beginning to end. And I want to walk through the scriptures and look at what the Bible has to say about rest. And then I want to look at how we get there. what's, What's the pathway? In the real world, for real people who have real pressures and real stuff going on in the world around us, how, how do we get there? Nature of rest and the pathway to rest. So when Jesus spoke those words in Matthew chapter 11, even as we hear them now 2,000 years later, there's this, this, this hope that wells up in us of like, I, I long for that thing. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. There's this sense of like, yes, that's, that's what I want. That's what I need. I, I, I would like to make the case that as much as we hear that with open ears and open eyes, the original hearers heard it even with even more weight. There were centuries of teaching and writing about rest. And so when Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest, the original hearers heard it in a very different and profound way. So um, if you're able to flip through the scriptures quickly with me, you can do that. I will read for you as we get there. But we're going to go all the way back to Genesis 2 to start, and we're going to kind of work our way through uh, the Old Testament into the New Testament. Genesis chapter 1 is all about the rhythm of creation, right? God creates, he does this work, declares it to be good. Does this work, declares it to be good. There's this rhythm that flows through creation. And, And then when he creates man on the sixth day, he declares men and women to be very good. And then we pick up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, and it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested 
on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. That word rested in Hebrew is Shabbat. It's the uh, root word that is practiced now as a Sabbath uh, remembrance, Sabbath celebration in the, uh, in the Jewish culture uh, and invited into to all people that we, would, that we would step into the Sabbath rest of God. And what's fascinating is there's this rhythm that has been created. Uh, God does this work of creation. It's good. Work of creation, it's good. Ultimately with people, work of creation, it's very good. But now on the seventh day, something distinct is said. It's not good. It's not very good. He rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. Verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So this seventh day is not just good. It's not even very good. It's distinctly different. The seventh day is holy holy. Abraham Heschel, a a Jewish rabbi who has written extensively on the Sabbath, makes this statement about Sabbath. To the philosopher, the idea of the good is the most exalted idea. But to the Bible, the idea of the good is penultimate. It cannot exist without the holy. The good is the base. The holy is the summit. Things created in six days he considered good. The seventh day he made holy. God did something distinct in that seventh day of rest. And it's fascinating to think men and women created on the sixth day, the very first job that they have is what? To rest. The very first thing that our predecessors were called to do at creation was to be created and then to rest in the rest of God. And then fascinatingly, God makes that idea of rest a marker for his people. So if you turn from Genesis chapter 2 to Exodus chapter 33, um, in the book of Exodus, the, the people of God have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. And as they move toward the promised land, God's going with them. There's this uh, fascinating interchange between God and Moses. But I, I want you to see a specific verse um, in verse 14 of Exodus chapter 33, Moses is talking to God and, and, and begging God to go with him. And God makes this statement in verse 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. From this time on, from Exodus chapter 33 forward, the concept of rest and the presence of God are always tied together. So every time God is present the people can rest. And every time the people rest, they do so through the presence of God. And that idea of rest became a marker to to identify who they were. So if you flip back just a couple pages to Exodus chapter 20, in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments are given as kind of a summary statement of the law and the covenant that the people of God are invited into. These are the defining characteristics that tell the Israelites how to live. In verse 8, It says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When God gives the people of Israel the command to Sabbath, 
he says it's rooted in the rest of God. God produced for six days, and then he rested. You should be like God. So also work for six days, just like God, and then rest. As a rhythm, as a, as a marker that identifies you, you should produce, and then you should rest. And you should rest in a way that reminds you that he's God and you're not God. That he is the one that we follow. He's the one that we pursue. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and the way the Old Testament narrative works, the, the people of God in Exodus go out toward the promised land. They get to the brink of the promised land, and then they're unwilling to go into the promised land because of uh, fear and because of a lack of faith in God. And so that generation dies off, and in the book of Deuteronomy, the law is given again, not to the same people, but to their children, to a, a different generation of people. So flip forward to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And what you're going to have in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is a retelling of the Ten Commandments. And most of them are exactly the same. They're exactly what's written in Exodus 20. It's the exact same words in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But the Sabbath command is different. Listen to uh, what it says, starting in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox or your donkey or any of the livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates, that your male servant and female servant may rest as well with you. That's very close, almost identical to what was in Exodus 20, but then listen to this in verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Exodus chapter 20 says, keep the Sabbath day because God did. God rested, therefore you should rest. Be like God, rest like him. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, there's this fascinating twist where God now speaking to this next generation of Israelites says, not just be like God, true, but Remember that you were slaves and now you're free. Do you understand free people? They can rest. Slaves are identified by their production. You don't get to rest if you're a slave. But if you're free, you can rest. What God's saying to the people of God is understand that your identity is not bound up in what you make and what you produce. Understand that your identity is not uh, tied into how productive you are through the week, but instead your identity is who God has made you to be. He has freed you. Because you are free people, Sabbath, you get to rest. You get to trust the, the power and the presence of God. Now, obviously, fast forward thousands of years, we don't have a pharaoh that's forcing us to work. But if we're honest, we have an internal pharaoh, don't we? We have this thing in us that's saying, go, 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 go. I remember uh, years ago, f uh, five or six years ago, I was meeting with a spiritual director, and um, he was doing a good spiritual director thing, which is like, you know, asking you to be like Jesus. That's the kind of stuff that they do, right? Um, and so he was pushing me very specifically on margin and, um, and having space in my life. And we had gone for, um, we were meeting about every other week, and we had gone for six or eight or 
10 or a long time, and I was making no progress, like no progress at all. And I, and I would come to him, and I was like, I know you're going to ask, and I know, I just, I don't feel like I have, I, it's about the same, like I just don't really have any more margin, I just have all this stuff that I'm trying to work, work through. And it was so funny, he said, he said, do you have like a, like a elders or a board or something like that? I said, oh yeah, we have elders and a board. Could I write them a letter and just tell them that I think for your spiritual journey, it's really important for you to have, have some margin. And I said, oh, they would love for me to have margin. There's no problem. That, I mean, you can write anything you want, but they're, they're not standing in the way of me having margin. He said, what's the problem? I said, I'm the problem. <laughs> like, of course I'm the problem. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm meeting with you. I'm the problem. <laughs> and, and so are you. There's an internal pharaoh in us that's saying, keep going. You're, people like you because you're producing things. The world accepts you because you have earned something. You have achieved a position and now you need to cling to it. There's this thing inside of us that pushes us. God says in Deuteronomy, stop it. You're free. You are not identified by what you produce. You are not identified by how busy you are. You're not identified by how great your kids are. You're not identified by how big your house is. You're identified by Jesus and him alone. Stop it. Free people rest. Slaves work. Free people rest. By the time Jesus gets on the scene in the New Testament, I'm skipping over a bunch of stuff, obviously. Um, By the time Jesus gets on the scene in the New Testament, he has a really unique relationship with the Sabbath. You see it throughout the Gospels. Um, I I love in Mark chapter 2, if you want to flip to Mark chapter 2, Jesus makes this um, fascinating statement to the Pharisees. Uh, They're watching he and his disciples walk through the the grain fields and they're plucking heads of grain, which was considered to be harvesting. It's a very bad way to harvest to pluck a head of grain, but that's that's what it was considered. And so they have this kind of discussion back and forth. It becomes a bit of a theological conversation. But then in verse 27, Jesus says this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What Jesus says is this idea of rest is not given so that there would be another layer of production placed on top of you. In addition to doing all the stuff you need to do all week, in addition to doing all of the things that you're responsible for, you're maintaining your lawn and you're doing your work and you're raising your kids and you're cooking meals and you're going to the store and now you have to work to rest. That's not what he says. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he's saying is Sabbath was not given so that there would be another obligation placed on us, but instead, Sabbath was given because you need it. And so do I. The gift of limits is what it means to be human. And so we are to embrace Sabbath as a gift and not as an obligation. Jesus, um, in a way that was incredibly frustrating to the teachers of the law at the time, would always persistently heal on the Sabbath. Do you ever notice that? Like, it's like all of his healing, it's like, like he would like wait for the Sabbath to heal people. It was like, they, they expected him to wait till the next day and he was like, oh no, 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 why? 
Because the Sabbath, if you go all the way back from the beginning, the Sabbath was uh, meshed, enmeshed with the presence of God. The presence of God to work and to, to restore. And so what Jesus was doing as he healed on the Sabbath consistently, persistently over and over again, was saying, this is actually what the Sabbath is about. The Sabbath is about being made whole because of the goodness of God. The Sabbath is about highlighting the presence of God in the world around us. And so he would over and over again uh, heal on the Sabbath. And when he gets to that passage that Paul read for us from Matthew chapter 11, he's been doing this kind of annoyingly all the way through his ministry, right? He's, He's continually pressing into the Sabbath, violating the Sabbath from uh, the perspective of the teachers of the law. And then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What Jesus is saying is, the presence of God and the rest of God always go together. And if you want to experience the rest of God, Come to me, and I will give you rest. It would have been a profoundly offensive statement that Jesus was making to those around him because he was saying, I I am equal to God to be able to give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. What Jesus is saying is we cannot be yoked to the ways of Jesus, to the ways of God, and to the ways of power and production and money. You you can't be yoked to both of them without getting torn apart. If you're tied to two different animals going two different directions, at some point the distance just gets too much. Jesus is saying, trade one yoke for the other. You can't wear them both. Put my yoke on And what you'll find is I will give you rest. Can you imagine in our current world, if we learn to not just live in this rhythm, but to proclaim this rhythm in the world around us? The message the world needs to hear is not try harder to follow after God, and not even come and have your sins be forgiven. The vast majority of the world around you doesn't even believe they're sinful. But you know what they all need to hear? There's rest for your souls. You're trying and you're striving and you're working, but God has rest for us. And and we're gonna talk about this in just a minute, but I I don't mean just a break, a, a vacation, where you go and you do stuff so you need a vacation from your vacation. Not that any of you have ever done that. I'm just saying, if that happened. Like, I'm not saying that you just have a pause. What Jesus calls us into is that that yoke, that, that lifestyle of rest, a way of living where we're refreshed and renewed as a part of the normal rhythm of life. What Jesus is saying is, I I will not be defined by my full schedule. I will not be defined by the fact that I'm running from place to place. I will not be defined by getting my kids in all the right things so they can do all the right activities, so they can have all of the right awards. I will not be defined by what I produce, by what I own, by all of this stuff around me. I will be defined by him alone. 
and that the finished work of Jesus is all that I need. And, and, and that's what's fascinating because um, that, that's the next stop in this rest journey. Flip to Luke chapter 23. Probably at least once a year during the Lenten season read this passage, but think about it from the perspective of this journey of rest that we've been doing through the scriptures. I'm going to start in verse 50 of Luke chapter 23. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had yet ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandments. Jesus, taken down from the cross, rested on the Sabbath as a repeat of Genesis 2 the work is finished, the day is holy, and God is resting. When Jesus rests on the Sabbath, it becomes a Sabbath rest that if you flip one more time to the book of Hebrews, we all are now invited into. So Hebrews chapter four, verse 11 Sorry, verses 9 and 10 says this. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We've been offered rest. Scriptures beginning to end are saying that the people of God are identified by rest, that we should not be people who are producing frenetically, we should not be people who are uh, endlessly striving, but we are invited into the rest of God. The question is, how do we get there? Right of the Hebrew says, strive to enter that rest. So how do we enter that rest? What's that pathway look like for us? Well, the theological answer is the one that I've just been kind of walking through. So if I just summarize, theologically we enter the rest by the presence of God, by living in the way of Jesus and taking on his yoke, by following after him. The rhythms of life where we uh, spend time being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did. We enter his rest by becoming like him. Which shouldn't be that complicated, right? It's pretty easy. Like we should just stop. Except that we never do. So why? Why is something that's so easy, so difficult for us to get our arms around? Why can't we just rest? It's fascinating that of all the Ten Commandments, this is the only one that I'm aware of that we brag about breaking, right? We, we see it as a mark of honor. If you uh, came to work for York Alliance, we would give you a job description, and regardless of your job description, um, there would be a, a bullet on your job description that would say, 
This person is responsible to maintain a Sabbath day and practice Sabbath. Now, just imagine if we were hiring pastors and had to list that for all the commandments. This pastor is responsible not to murder anyone. Like, well, sometimes maybe it's necessary. I don't know. Uh, this pastor is responsible not to lie, not to steal. You know, at some point, there's a, a, like a, a, a assumption that you're okay with that stuff, right? But we list one of the commandments in our job description. And if you talk to any of us, you'll find out that we're not all that great at it. <laughs> We've been working, I've been in my job description for 20 years, and I'm better at it than I was 20 years ago, but I'm still not great. Why? Well, one of the problems is we have a misperception of what Sabbath is. We see Sabbath as a day off. I am militant about a day off. I take almost every week, 50 out of 52 weeks a year, I take a 24-hour period off. But a day off is different than a Sabbath. You know what a day off is for people like me? You abuse yourself for six days and then you have to catch up on that day because you have so much stuff that you haven't gotten done for the six days because you've been abusing yourself for those six days. That's not Sabbath. That's sick is what that is. So one of our problems is we, we take days off, but, but we don't take Sabbath. What's Sabbath? Well, it, it would, uh, we're going to do a practice series next year. It will, um, we'll unpack this in a lot more detail. But I want to just hit three activities, basic activities that are Sabbath activities. First one is this. We are called to remember. When you go through the scriptures, the, the language is constantly remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. When we come to a Sabbath moment, one of the things that we should be doing is thinking about the things that God has done. Sabbath should be a weekly reminder that God is active in the world around us, that he's working, that he's moving, and that he's in charge, and we become the recipients of his good work. We should pause and look back, and as we look back at six days, if you're totally honest, what you're going to find is you've, done, you've exerted a lot of effort and God seems to have done all the work without you, right? That's one of the beautiful things that we see. It's like the, the good things of God, they just showed up. And I just happened to be a recipient of it. Marva Don has an excellent book. It's called uh, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Uh, Don uh, makes this statement. On the Sabbath day, we deliberately remember that we have ceased trying to be God and instead have put our lives back into his control. Concentrating on God's lordship in our lives enables us to return to his sovereign hands all the things that are beyond our control and terrifying us. Once those things are safely there, as long as we don't stupidly take them back again, our emotions can find truly comforting and healing rest. What she's saying is every week we get to Sabbath and we remember, oh right, he's God, I'm not God. Oh right, the world will continue to spin while I stop and breathe. I don't need to keep it spinning. I stop and remember all this stuff that's out ahead of me that I'm, I'm terrified of, that I can't handle, that is, that's weighing on me, oppressing me. I'm like, God can handle all of that. And I look back and remember that he already has handled things way bigger than that. 
And so I rest. I, I don't know if this happens, uh, if, if you have a community group, I don't know if this happens in your community group, but one of my, uh, one of my favorite things, and it's not a, a knock on any community group I've ever been in because it's happened with every community group I've ever had. We, we all have like this, this great conversation and then somewhere after that great conversation, I or whomever is facilitating that night says, so what's God doing in your life? And it's, everybody's quiet. How have you seen God at work this past week? Why aren't we ready with an answer? Well, I think one of the reasons is we don't Sabbath. Sabbath remembers the good things of God. And so if we never stop to do that, then all of a sudden, as soon as you ask the question, like in 30 seconds, I'm trying to do an entire Sabbath, right? I'm like, mm, I don't know. What did God do? Well, how's God been working? I don't, I, I don't remember. Remembering is one of the activities of Sabbath. The second one is being restored. Notice I said restore, not relax. Rela- Relaxation's wonderful. It's really good. It's not Sabbath. So um, uh, taking a day to binge Netflix and scroll Instagram is not the same. I'm not even saying those things are evil, although, yeah, but I'm not saying they're evil. What I'm saying is they're not restorative. Like for almost all of us, Sabbath should be a break from screens and technology so that we can be restored. Because guess what? Hollywood and Silicon Valley is not interested in restoring your soul. I don't know if you know this. Like they're actually interested in draining your soul. That's the way it works. And so when we put up a boundary marker and we say, I'm not just going to like chill, but I'm going to be restored. That's a whole different set of activities. That's a, that's a whole different thing. Sabbath is not about simply being alone. For a lot of us, we're just, our li- lives are full and we get to Sabbath and we want to just separate from people. But do you notice it's fascinating that God created men and women and then he rested. If he wanted to be alone, he'd have done it the other way, right? Like, like I'll, I'll rest and then I'll see if I can work up the energy to deal with these people, right? That's, Sabbath is actually something we should do in community. Community, healthy biblical community is restorative, It's part of the way that God restores us by having people who speak life into us and for us to speak life into them without any agenda, without any plan to uh, use or be used, but to simply be, to simply rest in the plan of God. Um, One of the things I find just on a very practical level is I need to know what restores me and I need to have it written down because when I reach the point of exhaustion, I'm not going to reach for what restores me. I'm going to reach for what will occupy my mind in the easiest way possible, which is almost always this, right? Because it's easy. It's right here. It's right in front of me. So I make a list. Like, it's restorative to me to go. So for me, I love on Sabbath to cook, and I love to cook out somewhere. Now, when I'm exhausted, the last thing I want to do is pack up a cooler and get the charcoal and uh, traipse out to Sam Lewis so that I can cook out on the mountaintop. But when I get there, oh man, like there's, I, I know that Jesus is with you everywhere, but he's with me special there. I'm telling you, 
Just kidding about that. But it's wonderful, and I never feel like doing it unless I remember to write it down and say, this is re- I know this is restorative to me. I know this is what I need to do. Instead, what I feel like doing is just sitting on the couch and staring at the wall. So restoration, that process of restoration is unique to all of us, and we all have different ways that we're restored. But to write those things down and to know these are restorative activities for me, and I'm going to press into these when I get to Sabbath. Sabbath is about remembering. Sabbath is about being restored. And finally, uh, Sabbath is about being reformed. So um, the idea of being reformed is around uh, this, this concept that work is a gift of God, but work taken to an excess malforms us. It, unless you are regularly in a rhythm of Sabbath, you probably very unknowingly are being malformed by the work around you. You're being malformed to think, if I produce, that makes me more valuable. If I achieve, that puts me higher on the totem pole. If I gain more, that makes me more secure. These are all things that are naturally part of our world. It's just out, it's out there in our world. Pe- people who do well in their job are people who are more successful. That's what we think. That's part of the formation of our culture. People who have money in the bank, who have a, a, a six months of savings or whatever, whatever your benchmark is, those people have a higher level of security than people who don't. Now listen, I'm not saying be financially wi- uh, stupid or not be financially wise. What I'm saying is security doesn't come from any of the stuff that you can create. You know that bank account can disappear in an instant, right? Like, you ever read about the late 20s? Like, it was crazy. Like, all, all that stuff that feels like security is not actually security. The only thing that actually is secure is Jesus. And you and I are being formed by a world that says, produce more because you're identified by your production. Work harder, you're identified by your work. Be successful, you're identified by your success. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're identified by me and I've made you free. So rest. Sabbath is about forming our hearts back to the heart of God. A.J. Swoboda wrote an excellent book called Subversive Sabbath, which I think is a great title. Lots of good stuff in there. Let, Let me just read this one quote. Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. Sabbath and the gospel scream the same thing. We do not work to get to a place where we can finally get to breathe and rest that slavery. Rather, we rest and breathe and enjoy God that we might enter into rest. Being reformed around the good things of God shapes our heart. We become people who enter into what he has for us. And so let me ask you the question that I was asked. Are you living delusionally? Are you delusional? Because it's delusional to believe that you can exhaust yourself and ignore the call of God to rest and that it won't have a long-term effect on your soul. And when we begin to be people of rest, we have an apologetic that the world deeply desires. I'm not saying that we don't work hard for six days a week. I'm not saying that we're not productive people. 
What I am saying is that when we can be people who are not identified by that, but we're identified by God alone, all of a sudden we're going to be seen differently by the world around us. The world is rushing headlong into exhaustion and burnout. And we are invited to be people of rest. So I'm going to ask you as we respond for you to consider what that means for you because one of the truths that I have learned about Sabbath is that no one is going to do it for you. In fact, what you're going to have, as I do, is a whole host of people who are calling out for you to help them. They're, they're the one need that's more pressing. And no one except for you is going to say, I need to stop. And I need to rest. And so I don't know what that looks like for you. Um, God, I believe, has wired into us the need for a 24-hour Sabbath rest. And if that feels like that's so far away from you right now, I get it. Start with two or three. Start with a built-in intentional pause where you're taking some time to just be in the presence of God. And then work to expand that week after week. But guard it. Plug it in and don't allow it to, to change. Remember the good work of God. Be restored by activities that restore your soul in the presence of God. Be reformed around the idea that God has already given you an identity. You don't have to earn anything. And then if all you can manage right now is a couple hours, go back to it. And then a week from now, see if you can add an hour. A 24-hour period where you can stop reminds us that he's God and we're not God. Reminds us that we don't keep the world spinning, he keeps the world spinning. And what you will find, as I do, is that you come into Sabbath believing, I am vitally important to the world around me. The world needs me. And you come out of Sabbath realizing, huh, actually the world's fine without me. The world needs Jesus. And I'm way better now to enter back into that world. And so I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to just um, allow God to show you what that looks like for you. For most of us, rest, real biblical Sabbath rest is not a part of our rhythm. It's just not part of the North American lifestyle. And so I'm going to ask you to just consider what it looks like for you to begin to live as a person of rest. So just take a couple minutes um, and... Uh, Rob and Kate will come and lead us in response, but um, I, I just want to ask the Spirit to speak to us where we are, meet us, and to show us what it looks like for us to uh, live as people of rest. And so, Jesus, would you come? Thank you that you are not ever coming in guilt and shame, but you are coming with an invitation to enter in. Thank you that you come with open arms. God, now would you by your spirit show us what it would look like for us to engage the rest that you've invited us into.